0: We're in 1 John chapter 2, as we continue through this letter on Sunday mornings. It's a couple of weeks since we were here in this particular part of God's Word, and there are one or two amongst us visiting, you're particularly welcome today, but there are one or two who have not been with us at all as we've started to make our way through this letter. So... Let me just give a quick recap as we come to verse 18 of chapter 2. John, in this letter, has a number of chief concerns. He wants to provide assurance for everyone who is a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to be assured of where you are in Christ Jesus And he also wants to highlight the dangers of the many false teachers who are in circulation in his day. Uh, I heard this said during the course of this last week as I was preparing and studying. See what you make of this. The effects of false teachers is always the same. There are many who sincerely believe that they are Christians... But they are not. Now, if that's true, I suspect it is true. That's a very serious statement. The effects of false teachers are always the same. There are many who sincerely believe that they are Christians, but they are not because they've been deceived. They've been led astray. They've put their faith in a Jesus who is not the Jesus of the New Testament. They've put their faith in a gospel which is not the gospel of the apostles. And that's the backdrop against which John is writing. There are many around in John's day who think they're Christians, but they're not. And he reminds us, firstly, in the opening few verses of the opening chapter, that it all begins with Christ. It's all centred upon Christ. Jesus Christ is the eternal God. Jesus Christ is God and man. And Jesus Christ is the source and means of our fellowship once more with God. He it is who reconciles us to God. And he brings out a number of key themes. There are three main themes in the letter. Correct doctrine understanding the right truth, having the right belief, then loving relationships, by which he means Christ-like loving, and also having true obedience. Truth, love, and obedience, which result in joy, holiness, and assurance. Some have called these things the, the doctrinal test, the moral test, and the social test. And these things mark out a man or woman as being a Christian, as being a follower of Christ. You will have these three things if you are a Christian. He reminds us in verse 5 of the opening chapter that God is light and that in God there is no darkness at all. And of course, the contrast to that is that we are darkness and that in us there is no light. But for the genuine Christian, our experience and our testimony is that God has called us out of that darkness and called us into his marvellous light. Which is why the Apostle Paul says, once we were darkness, but now we are light. That's God's work. That's what God does. Now, says John, if we're still walking in darkness but claim to be in the light, that is a lie. Chapter 1, verse 6. We're not practicing the truth. And therefore, it makes, that, it, makes it clear that to be walking in the light means that you are practicing the truth. So the truth is very important in the Christian life. You cannot be walking in the light and not be practising the truth. God's truth and the practical application and outworking of God's truth in our lives go hand in hand with our profession of faith in Christ Jesus. And it results in a distinct change that marks us out from the rest. We are those who have confessed our sins before God. We are those who have been washed and cleansed through the blood of Christ. We are those who now are pursuing righteousness through the all-sufficiency of Christ. And that's what we see in verse... Uh, 6 of chapter 1 through to the opening part of chapter 2. And if that's true of us, it will show itself in loving obedience. Loving obedience, that's verses 3 to 11 of chapter 2. And, as Graham mentioned last time, it will also evidence itself in an ever-decreasing love of the world... And the things that are of the world. Those things to us will grow less and less and less. And so John has already covered his three major themes of truth and love and obedience in the life of a Christian. And now in the rest of the letter he's going to repeat them and address them over again. But he'll do, he'll do so from a variety of perspectives and a variety of applications into our lives. And in verses 18 uh, through to verse 27 of chapter 2, he returns to the issue of correct belief or doctrine or truth. And that's his major theme. And if you've got your Bible open at uh, 1 John 2, we're going to look at verses 18 to 27 and we're going to consider three headings. And the first is this beware of false teachers beware of false teachers he talks about it being the last hour he talks about antichrists who have come and he talks about knowing the truth in verse 21 he talks about those who are lying because they deny that Jesus is the Christ well what's what's John saying? Well, first of all, he uses some very strong language. He uses the word antichrist. Now, the anti bit, or if you were in America, you pronounce it anti, but anti, means two things. It means against, and it means in place of. These false teachers have raised themselves up, and they are against Christ, And the things that they teach, and sometimes they themselves, are put in place of Christ. They are anti-Christ. And he also talks about the last hour. It is the last hour. John says that as he is writing this nearly 2,000 years ago, it is the last hour. Now, five times in the New Testament, we read the phrase, the last days. And Peter said that the incarnate Jesus was manifested to us in these last times. Now, when we read a phrase like the last hour, the last days, the last times, when we read those phrases in the New Testament, many assume that the word last means that it's referring to something which will happen right at the end of this gospel age, just before the Lord Jesus Christ returns again. But that's not what it means. It's very clear that the New Testament apostles believe that they themselves were already in the last hour. And that was 2,000 years ago. These are the last days... In this sense, these are the last days of God's unfolding plan of salvation. The Old Testament foretold of Christ. And now he's come. His saving work of atonement and redemption is done and completed. In Christ's own words on the cross, it is finished. And he's risen and he's ascended and he is now in heaven with his heavenly father. These now, these now, just as it was in John's day 2,000 years ago, these now are the last days before Christ returns, when the gospel is to be proclaimed and all the saints of Christ are to be gathered in. We We do not know how long we have. And so for all Christians of every generation... It is the last hour. It is to be treated like it is the last hour. We're to preach the gospel like this is the last generation that will ever have a chance to hear the gospel. Because we don't know when Christ is coming. John says that antichrists have come. And here's the great reality. All Christians of every generation will experience antichrists. They've been around since the days of the apostles and they're around today. Now, John refers to the fact that it was known and accepted within the early church and it's known and accepted by many today that before Christ does actually return to this earth the second time, there will be a final uprising and outpouring of wickedness in the world And one specific person will become the unique embodiment of all that is Antichrist. And that person is referred to in the scriptures as the Antichrist. If you want a little bit of homework, you can go home and read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And see what Paul says about the subject there. There is one coming who will be the Antichrist... But at the same time, there will be many throughout the entire gospel age who are of that same spirit and essence and purpose. And look how John tells us that this is the evidence of our being in the last hour at the end of verse 18. Even now, many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. And here's the thing, says John, for the most part, these false teachers, who are antichrist, were once amongst us. Now that's staggering. Verse 19, they went out from us. They used to sit in church congregations. They used to be on membership roles of churches. But they've gone out. And they are anti-Christ. It's a remarkable thing that he says. They are those who have left orthodoxy. They are those who have walked out on that which has been established as the Christian faith. They are those who have left behind those truths taught and maintained and guarded by the apostles and passed on to others, faithful ones who will teach others also, as Paul puts it to Timothy. But these have left those things behind. They've moved out and they've moved off and they've moved on to something else, something different, something new. They've established a message of their own. Now look at what he says in this passage. If they had been the genuine article, if they had been true believers, they would not have left us. They would have stayed. True believers continue with the true church. They don't walk out. But these ones have, John says. The reality, he says, is they were never of us. They were amongst us. But they were never of us. So the time came when they found it impossible to continue with us. And they left. And they established their own ministries with their own teaching. And their own personal twist on the truth. And their own personal brand of Christianity. Which is not the gospel of the apostles. And dear friends, there are many like them around today. There are many. Often they are popular. Sometimes they are enormously popular. They will fill stadiums. Often they are charismatic with a small c, preachers and speakers. What powers of oratory some of them have. Some of them, when you listen to them, are obviously way off-centre, way off-centre. But often, they can sound quite similar to the genuine article. They use many of the same words that we use, but here's the difference. They don't hold to the same pattern of sound words, to use Paul's phrase, that we do. They might use the same vocabulary, but they don't use those words in the same way. And they don't use those words to mean the same thing. They teach another gospel. They teach a different Jesus. They can often be spotted, not so much by what they say, but by what they never say. It's often what they don't say that gives them away. So for example, I can think of one particular well-known example, they will refuse to say on national television that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation, that he is the only way to be reconciled to God, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. They refuse to say it. Why? Well, they know that they'll upset upset too many people saying those kinds of things. And their ministry is all about being popular, not about being faithful and truthful. It's about being popular. For some, you'll never hear them use words like repentance or sanctification. They never teach on those subjects. When pressed hard to admit that the Bible teaches that many of the lifestyles which today are being openly promoted and protected, that those lifestyles are actually sinful. They'll wriggle and they'll squirm, but they will not say it. It's not my job to judge people, they will say. Perhaps not, but... If you were a true teacher of the Bible, you would know that it is your job to proclaim God's truth. And they won't. They simply won't. Others do take a more traditional kind of line on those types of things. But they teach a Jesus who, if you invite him into your heart, will simply make you happy, successful, healthy and wealthy. Things like counting the cost, things like taking up your cross, things like being ready to suffer for the cause and sake of Christ, they will be themes which are rarely, if ever, mentioned on their lips. Some teach a Jesus who is less than God. And so it goes on and on. It's not a form of Christian teaching or Christian living Or gospel preaching that the apostles would recognise. And John says something very, very strong. They are in fact antichrists, he says. This is a strong warning for churches, for Christian people. And I want to give you that same warning in our modern day. Many of you go onto the internet and you can listen to all manner of people speaking. Some of you will turn on Channel 65 on Freeview, TBN. You do know, don't you, that on TBN a considerable number of men and women who are found on that station fall into this category. You do know that, don't you? Not all of them. Not all of them. Thing is, do you know how to tell the difference? Do you? Do you know how to tell the difference? One thing you'll notice is that many of them are not part of a long standing church tradition or denomination. Why? Because they've gone out from us. 1 John chapter 2. Instead, they've established their own independent ministry which often just runs in their own personal name. And they're accountable to no one but themselves. Now, I'm not tarring everyone with the same brush. This isn't true of all of them. But do you know how to tell the difference? Even someone as mighty as the Apostle Paul understood that he needed to be recognised by and validated by the church and the elders in Jerusalem. He wasn't a one-man band. He wasn't a one-man show. There's a whole church to be considered. There are elders to be considered. Paul knew that. He put himself under the Jerusalem church. That's important, you know. That's not how it was then, but now it's different. Do you know how to discern between the good and the bad, between the true and the false? Now, if your answer to that goes something like this, but he's a great communicator. Well, you clearly don't know how to tell the difference between the two. Now, if you don't or if you're not sure, the correct thing to do, of course, is not to listen to any of it. Because that means you don't know what you're listening to. And you don't know what might be leading you astray and what actually is the genuine. So if you're not sure... Or if you don't know, you shouldn't be listening to any of it, should you? Now, of course, when people like me stand up in churches like ours and say things like this, we're accused of being nitpicking, judgmental and far too fussy about doctrine. But the Apostle John puts himself in the same position and I'm happy to stand with him. This is about the pursuit and the preservation of biblical Christianity and biblical truth as the Apostle John knew only too well. Be careful out there, people. There are many who seek to deceive you. Don't let them. However, there's good news. Look at verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Well, that sounds good. The certain work of God's Spirit. And here's where we get our assurance. Here's where we have something that is reliable. The certain work of God's Spirit. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you don't know the truth but because you do know it and you know that no lie is of the truth. You know. Now what is it that makes you different from those who follow after these antichrists in droves? What makes you different? What is it that's keeping you in the truth? Why are you not walking out on the church and following after these other things? Why are you not falling for their lies? How can you discern their error? Because every genuine Christian is said to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, and with that anointing comes insight into the truth. Now, of course, when you mention the word anointing in terms of the Holy Spirit, that will mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people within the wider Christian community. And they'll give you many suggestions as to what are the evidences of being anointed with the Holy Spirit. But here, John points out to us one of the chief and most important evidences. And it won't always be the first thing that Christians think of. The Holy Spirit will lead you into the truth of God's word. That is one of his key roles in the life of a Christian. To lead you into truth. All true Christians are immediately and permanently indwelt by the Spirit of God. You're not a Christian at all if that hasn't happened. All of you indwelt by the Spirit and he will lead you into the truth and he will keep you in the truth. And with that he brings assurance and conviction and belief and faith. That's his role. That's why Christ sent him. That's why the Father sent him. The Spirit of God will overrule in your heart. What does Jesus teach the disciples in John chapter 14? It's the same John writing both these accounts. John 14, 16. I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit of truth is in you. And then the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. Listen to what he has to say. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning at verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Every Christian has is an anointed one who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's what it means to be an anointed Christian. The Holy Spirit comes and seals the faith within you, seals the truth within you. That's his primary work, to bring you into and keep you in the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's Word Now in verses 22 to 23 of 1 John 2, John tells us that these false teachers will eventually fall into error in one of the most central truths of all, which is both the identity and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will get him wrong. And today, likewise, false teachers will usually be found to be out of step with historical Christian truth on some key issue or more than one key issue concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Christian friends, we have this assurance. By his spirit, God will keep you in fellowship in a local church because he has settled you in the truth. Now, when it says all things in verse 20, you know all things. Some of you are thinking, uh... Don't think that's me. Don't think I know all things. Uh, Hand goes up. No, I can't confess to know all things. So what does John mean? It doesn't mean that you'll know everything there is to know. It means that you will have the capacity to discern truth from error. The Spirit gives you that capacity to discern truth from error. When you hear false teaching... By God's spirit, you'll know that it's wrong. You might not know precisely why it's wrong. You might be completely unable to stand up and explain in a logical and compelling way why you believe it to be wrong. But there's something within you. I just know that's not right. That's the spirit at work. Keeping you. Protecting you. Helping you. Comforting you in the truth that you do know. He'll keep you. God's Spirit will do that in a believer. So, one of the chief evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a genuine Christian man or woman is establishing them in the truth of the faith and keeping you there. Praise God that He does. And one third and final point regarding truth and correct doctrine from this passage continue in the faith once delivered. Look at verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. And the Apostle John is talking to Christians who've been taught by the apostles. He's talking about that which has been laid down once and for all by the apostles. Let it abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the father when it comes to biblical gospel truth there is no place for things new or novel there's no place for those who are prepared to close their bible because the preacher is about to bring something new from god we're going to be reminded about that at the close of revelation this evening There's no place for abandoning the things you first learned because you suppose that God wants you now to close your Bible and take you on to new and higher and better things. No. John says, stay in the things that you first heard. Why? Because that was the truth. You don't need anything else. You've got everything you need. You don't need something new or novel. You just need to love more and know better That which you've already been told. There are many areas of Christian living where we can legitimately say that we want to make progress, aren't there? We can say we want to know and love God more. We can say we want to be more faithful and diligent and consistent. And we want to be that in witness, in prayer, in private devotions, in serving others. We begin as spiritual babes. We want to grow. We want to move on. We want to make progress. But when it comes to truth, when it comes to God's truth, there is nothing new to be brought in. There is nothing new to move on to. We have it all. We've got all the truth we need in this book. We just need to know and love this better. We need to learn more and more how to put this into our lives and live it out. What we are to do is to remain in that which has already been given and grow, grow in our understanding, grow in our application of it. And look at verse 24 and note two important words. The first word is let. Let that abide in you. Let it. Why? Because you are able to resist it or reject it. That word let Shows us that it is something which you must personally embrace. It's something that you must will to do. But I thought you said a moment ago it was all the work of the Holy Spirit. Well it is. But you are also responsible for giving yourself to that which the Spirit is doing in your life. There are means of grace which God has given, whereby you may be kept in those things that you've heard from the beginning. And the Spirit will use those things also. Keep reading your Bible and be a prayerful student of the Word. Keep listening to those who are preaching those old truths. And don't listen to those who preach otherwise. Be an active member of a church that teaches those truths. And don't go to a church that looks down its nose on doctrine. The word let puts some of the onus on you. Even though it is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit. The other word is if. If. If what you heard abides from the beginning abides in you. You also will abide in the Son and in the Father. If. If. There's a fixed body of truth which goes hand in hand with being in genuine genuine union with Christ. If you are genuinely united to Christ. There is a fixed body of truth that goes with that. That's what the Bible teaches. And those who are of Christ remain in this truth. Those who abandon the truth therefore demonstrated that they were never in union with Christ. See, the Bible often puts two things that don't seem to be related and says they are related. These two things are linked. It's not about abiding in Christ or being obsessed with truth. Not at all. If you abide in Christ, this truth will mean everything to you because it meant everything to him. abiding in the truth and abiding in Christ go together. They're not to be separated. That's the very clear message of Scripture and it's the very clear message of this verse. We're given new minds in Christ in order that we might engage with this truth. And this is important, says John, because there are people out there who are trying to deceive you. And if you let them If you let them, they will cause you to stray from the truth. Don't let them. But there is one who will keep you from their deception. So you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be fearful. The Holy Spirit will keep you. When false teaching falls upon your ears... The Holy Spirit is able to make sure that it does not fall upon your heart. That's what's meant when John says, You don't need anyone to teach you. In verse 27. Now, John is not suggesting that Christians don't need to listen to teaching anymore. It's not what he's saying. Of course, we need teaching. Of course we need Bible teachers. Of course we need preachers. Of course we need good Christian books to read. John's not contradicting the rest of Scripture by saying that we don't need to be taught. The context here, the context is always important. The context is not being led astray by false teaching. That's the context. And if you're abiding in the truth, That you've been abiding in from the beginning. With the help of the Holy Spirit. You won't need someone to come and tell you that what you've just heard is wrong. The Holy Spirit will do that. You won't need every single time to come along to one of the elders and say. I I heard this the other day on, on the internet. What do you think? You won't need to ask that question every time. Because you'll know it's not right. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you let him. If you have that attitude and that spirit. Lord. Work in me now as I listen. Show me what is true. Show me what is not. He will. He will. You'll know it for yourself. And by this. You will know that you are in Christ. John wants you to know. He wants you to be sure. You will know. Because you'll abide in the truth. Because that's the glorious work of God's Spirit. For each one here this morning who truly is abiding in Christ, he will keep you in his truth and you will know i am a christian do you